Welcome in, everybody. It's the Eyes on Texas Multicast. Half of our episode coming to you live from the capital city of the great state of Texas, overlooking downtown Austin and the University of Texas. Other half live in New Orleans, Louisiana, site of this Monday night's college football playoff semifinal between third-ranked Texas and second-ranked Washington. Welcome to the weekly podcast that understands the pride and tradition of the Texas football program will never be entrusted to the timid or the weak. It's episode 35 of the Eyes on Texas Multicast. The EOT is a product of the Republic of Football on Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast Network, powered by our presenting partner at Grande Equipment and our four other founding partners who we'll tell you about throughout our broadcast here as we get you ready for the national championship semifinal. I'm Aaron Hogan, morning show host here at the Horn here in Austin. He is the senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. Mike Craven holding it down in the big easy. Arrived yesterday. My friend, how is Nola so far? You got to go to practice today, a little press conference action. You are uh, knee deep in uh, Texas, Washington chatter. How is, uh, how is it so far? Uh, it's pretty good. Uh, not sure what day of the week it is. All blends together that time between Christmas and New Year. But first time in New Orleans so far, so good. And it's a, it's a multicast podcast. It doesn't matter what day it is. Uh, hopefully, the, well, I will tell you it's Thursday. We're recording this on Thursday. Wanted to uh, you know get a little later in the week, get a little more sound. We got Sark and Kalen DeBoer coming up. Texas and Washington's head coaches. We're from Pete Witkowski over the course of our episode here tonight talking about trying to stop this Washington pass offense, the number one pass offense in the country. Uh, the Texas will face a Heisman finalist. Some people thought... Uh, Michael Penix should have won the Heisman Trophy. That's how good this offense can be. Texas, of course, has a pretty good offense of their own. Defenses will preview it all and get you ready for Texas and Washington. Uh, so you've been there since yesterday, Mike. Flew in. You can try to find some dinner tonight, I would assume. Uh, one of the great, you know, you don't do the inviting anymore. But uh, the, the the food scene pretty darn good in New Orleans. Any guess on where you're going to be trying to chow down tonight? We may try the gumbo shop. Heard some good play, good things about that. Uh, we went to Oceana last night, kind of walked in there around 530 or so. Uh, it was really good, uh, really good food, uh, clearly. So uh, enjoying it. My little brother played at Southeastern Louisiana. So I've been to Louisiana. I've had a lot of Cajun food, just haven't been to New Orleans. But uh, first dinner was fantastic. All right, well, good. Looking forward to uh, chatting about this game and uh, talking about it. Uh, here's how we'll, we'll run it down. We break it into four quarters every single episode, and it's like a football game. Our second quarter, we'll focus on the Texas defense, how they match up with this high-powered Washington offense, including thoughts from uh, Husky head coach Kalen DeBoer on the Texas defense, Texas D.C. Pete Kwiatkowski, uh, of course, the former Washington defensive coordinator, on how they're going to slow this thing down at halftime. We're going to shine a spotlight on the final two pieces of Longhorn recruiting and Portal Hall that came in just before Christmas. They added a speedy wide receiver from California. Uh, many will remind many of them, Xavier Worthy, also a premier pass rusher through the transfer market. In quarter three, we'll flip that conversation, preview the Texas offense versus the Washington defense, talk a little special teams as well in there, and get you ready for this game. And, of course, quarter four, it's our final four big questions around Texas, around college football, as we get you ready for uh, quite the weekend of college football bowl action and college football playoff semifinal action. Uh, getting it going, hopefully, as we get this thing out on Friday, you can uh, send it to some friends and uh, they can listen on the drive. I'll be driving over there. You're already there, Mike. I'll be heading over there. Uh, on Saturday morning, I was going to try to get out of here Friday and maybe stay at Lake Charles and do some gambling, you know what I mean, Friday night. Uh, it's not going to work for the schedule, but either way, I'll be heading over there on Saturday. So uh, tell a friend, send this episode once it drops to a friend. It's, it's, it's a good traveling companion, right? Fill an hour of time, 
maybe between Anahuac and Lake Charles or something. I don't know. However, that uh, trip will go. Uh, Beaumont, I don't know, whatever, but uh, good listening, whether you're podcasting it on our podcast on Spotify or iTunes, or you can fire it up on your phone on YouTube uh, through the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine YouTube page, the Horn FM in Austin's YouTube page as well as where you can find us. So that's why we call it a multicast. You can watch it. You can listen to it however you'd like to consume the eyes on Texas. All right, Mike, let's start with our first quarter. Uh, of course, always brought to you by our good friend Carlos Carrion, thetexasmortgageguy.com. That's thetexasmortgageguy.com. Uh, but before we get to that, let's start by thanking our presenting partner, our great friends at Grande Equipment. They prevented this from the very beginning. Uh, Wes Murray and his team, they understand your reputation is all you have when it comes to a big project. You need heavy equipment, any size, any scope. Uh, all that matters is getting it done, get it done on time. That's why Grande partners with you on any project and every project. That's how they've operated for more than three decades. As Wes always tells me to tell you, they're not in the equipment business. They are in the relationship business to get that project done on time, have all the equipment you need, hassle-free and ready to go. They're an independent uh, manufacturer and, uh, or, excuse me, uh, provider. So they work with all major manufacturers, Caterpillar, John Deere, Komatsu, Volvo, and more. It's heavy equipment, sales, rentals, and uh, refurbishments. If you want to bring an older piece of equipment back to life, make it uh, run like new, they can do that as well with their refurb shop. They're a Grande Equipment. Uh, they also have a new renewable energy sector supporting solar projects all over the country, specializes in that pile driver application, new and used equipment with the capability of renting statewide and nationally. It's Grande Equipment, your international but independent and local equipment dealer online at Grande, GrandeEquipment.com. Remember, Grande doesn't overpromise, they overdeliver at GrandeEquipment.com. All right, first quarter brought to you by the Texas Mortgage Guy.com. All right, Mike, just an overview. Your thoughts. We're going to hear from uh, Sark here coming up. Uh, on you know when the team landed and where they are, but uh, what's what's your thought on this game as we are now as we record this about four days out to the big game on Monday night? It's a great matchup of prolific offenses. Texas probably has the better defense, but you know it, it, it seems like a, a really really even ball game going into Monday night. Yeah, styles make fights, and this one's an interesting one, right? I mean, Texas feels like they would have the advantage up front with their defensive line, but you look across Washington's offensive line, they're the Joe Moore award winners for best offensive line in the country. You know, Michael Penix is very good at getting the ball out, kind of eliminating a little bit of that pass rush. And so it's going to be come down to the secondary versus those Washington receivers. Can Devondre Sweat and Byron Murphy get pressure? If not, does Kwiatkowski blitz and, and, and leave those secondary guys on an island to figure out and speed them up, figure out what's going to happen there? Or do they, they help in coverage? And so I feel like the Texas offense is going to score points. Like the way I saw Quinn Ewers play at the end of the season, the way that Running back group stepped up after the Jonathan uh, Brooks injury, how much talent they have on the outside. Texas is going to score points against this Washington team. It's a matter of what the defense does. And if the defense can hold up, I think Texas is going to win this one. If Washington uh, can go up and down the field and get vertical on Texas, it's going to be a track meet. And I'm not sure Texas can win in that style. Yeah, we'll talk about that coming up in our second quarter, that Texas defense, which has been so clutch and so good uh, all year long in big spots there. You know, so we've talked about a lot on this size on Texas multicast styles make fights and Longhorn fans are, are you know, remembering the K-State game where the defense played great until they went to a passing offense. Uh, the Wildcats did, but the defense played great against Oklahoma State, uh, against Texas Tech, two run based offenses, and they really made them, you know, look silly. Uh, but this is a different animal. We'll talk about it in our second quarter. Give you some amazing stats on Michael Penix, Penix in this offense and that Joe Moore award winning offense. Uh, they're going to score some points. It's as you say, styles make fights, Mike. And this, you can just, you know, if you're fighting a really good fighter, you can anticipate you're going to take some blows. You're going to have to respond. You're going to win some rounds, lose some rounds. 
But uh, this is going to come down to the fourth quarter and who can make critical plays. That's the other part of these two teams, Mike. They've both been in some dogfights. You know, Texas fans will immediately jump to the close wins for Washington against Arizona State where they didn't score an offensive touchdown, Oregon State in a snowstorm. They've survived some games. But, you know, you can say the same thing about the Longhorns through October, Mike, that, um, you know, this team, both these teams have, have high football character. They, uh, they find ways to win. That's, a, that's a, a commonality between both. And that's why this looks like it, it sets up to be a, quite a classic game on Monday night. They're kind of mirror images of each other in, in some ways, right? I mean, Sark in his third year, DeBoer in his second, you know, transfer quarterbacks coming in and reigniting that offense, a ton of skill on the outside, building a solid offensive line to lead it. I think Texas definitely has more playmakers on the defensive side of the ball, but this one should be a fun up and down game with two really good offensive coordinators, two good defensive coordinators. There's a lot of crossover. You know, Pete Kwiatkowski was at Washington, his best friends, the offensive line coach. Uh, at Washington right now, obviously Steve Sarkeesian, uh, his first head coaching job was at Washington. Score a lot of points, exciting. You know, it feels like that Alabama-Michigan game is, is for our grandfathers, right? Kind of an older school, kind of this is what football used to be like. Uh, and this Texas-Washington game is going to be more modern, offensive, throw the ball up and down a lot, see who's faster, see who's better uh, in the passing game. So I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be a really fun football game. And Neither team has really been in this position. There's not anybody. A.D. Mitchell is about the only guy at Texas who's been in a bowl game. Christian Jones is the only Texas player who's traveled to a non-Alamo bowl during his Texas career. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, no, I mean, that's – uh, And Washington yeah. hasn't been here either. And so I don't think any team has the advantage. In who can handle the pressure? And we're not going to know that until kickoff on Monday night. Yeah, uh, Longhorn fans are tired of, rem of remembering the Alamo. You know what I'm saying? They're tired of that <laughs> 35 and playing in that game. And obviously Sark has uh, raised the level, and this team has an opportunity to play for and then maybe win a national championship, but uh, Washington does too. Um, you know, I mean, as you say, that you're, you're a writer for Dave Campbell's Texas football. You like the storylines. Do they matter in the game? I mean, there are several. They played last year in the Alamo Bowl, 27-20 uh, to 20 Washington. Um, you know, Pete Kwiatkowski, as you said, his best friends, the O-line coach. Matter of fact, when, uh, when Pete Kwiatkowski was hired by Sark, when he got here, the linebackers coach at Washington was promoted to D.C., and he's still the defensive coordinator. Uh, so he's still there. So he knows, you know, Sark and these guys, uh, P.K. and these guys certainly know one another. Uh, there's familiarity between the staffs. And, you know, in a coaching realm, you kind of keep up with your buddies more than any other. So they, I'm sure they've been watching each other from afar because they're different time zones and they can uh, so that's kind of cool. Do you buy into any of that? Does it matter that they played last year? Does it matter that uh, there's familiarity in the staffs or is this just show up and play ball on Monday? Whoever's the most prepared, whoever executes better uh, is going to win the football game. I mean, I think both of those things, right? I think it matters. I think it means something. I don't think it's going to be the defining characteristic of this football game, um, but there's no way that, that these coaches at Texas haven't used that as motivation and, and show some plays where maybe they got whipped last year. I'm imagining Washington's kind of cautioning their players against that. You know, Michael Penix today kind of mentioned, you know, they played against this defensive line before. It's not the Eagles or the 49ers defensive line, right? So that familiarity breeds a little bit of animosity that's going to, I think, raise as the week goes on. Like right now, you know, they just got here yesterday. They're still having a good time. This thing's going to ratchet up more and more. It's going to start feeling like a, a football game by the end of the week. And I just, I know how competitive how competitive you think college football players and coaches are if they're even more than that, right? And so, like, there's just no way you can get your butt whipped on national TV the year before by a football team and it not matter 
Texas has beaten Bama. They've beaten Tech. They beat Oklahoma State. They beat TCU. They've beaten all the teams that beat them last year. That last notch, the last one to get back is Washington. And to do so, you get to a national championship game. I just think it's got to matter at least a little bit in the subconscious. Yeah. And just, you know, you've lined up across a lot of those. And a lot of the players are the same. So in your head, when you go to bed at night, you can remember how that player played, maybe his tendencies. You studied him the year before. That familiarity is big. Uh, anybody that played high school football knows uh, you're playing your district guys. You knew them from the year before. It kind of gave you a better, uh, you know, advanced scouting. and just felt comfortable. Oh, I can handle that guy. He's, you know, he's pretty good. But I, I did well last year. Or if he burns you a few times, maybe you stay up nights uh, worrying about it as a player. But I do think the familiarity will, will play a factor and make it, even a better game. Mike, uh, to wrap up our first quarter, then we'll get into the to the finite details of offense v. defense and everything that's coming. Plus, we'll mention the uh, and talk about the two newest Longhorns additions that we haven't talked about since our last episode. But, uh, Mike, you got to talk to some of the Longhorn players. And one of the common themes on this, episode, this podcast all year long, and I think if we go back to the summertime, um, you know, what this team could be, we talked a lot about the players who are never going to play a game in the SEC and will never play as an SEC football team. Uh, and you got to talk to some of those senior leaders, some of the Tom Herman players from the past. You mentioned Christian Jones. Before they left, you got to, to have an availability with those guys. They really have been the driving force to this thing. I mean, these guys that have brought the culture, have seen the dark times, aren't worried about what's coming next year and the year after and all the SEC conversation and talk that uh, Longhorn fans are, are fine to have. They don't care about that. This is their moment. This is their opportunity. Uh, they've delivered during the course of a 12-1 and regular season, and now they have a chance, as I heard several of the players say, to leave a legend, leave a mark, leave a mark on a, on a legendary program. Uh, what were your takeaways from the guys you talked to uh, that have put the long, helped put the Longhorns in this position? Yeah, it feels like they're closer. They're a family, and the way that those guys talk about it, you can tell that wasn't true beforehand. And so that I think it gives them a little bit of light to what was going on with the Herman thing and the, and the splintered locker room and just how just that team didn't have those feel good vibes. And you need culture like TCU made that run last year because Sonny Dykes came in and just provided that roster with good vibes. Right. Like he just let them out of prison. All of a sudden they went and played really well and got to the semifinal. Sark's kind of done the same thing. Right. Like he's completely flipped. Uh, the culture at Texas. I mean, the Brees Hall quote is always going to stick it out in my mind. The five-star players were the first, the five-star culture. And he's right. Like if Texas was ever to figure out the culture, like they had during the Mac Brown years, those five-star players were going to rise to the top and they were going to get good again. But the guys you mentioned and the availability we had before uh, the Christmas break, before we came out to Sugar Bowl, what I noticed, what I thought was interesting was, you know, for, Christian Jones came out first, then Michael Taft, then David Binda, then Jalen Ford, not only are those guys holdovers from the Herman year, those are three-star players. Michael Taft was a walk-on that doesn't even have a rate. That's what stood out to me. When you started to look at it, you go, Texas isn't doing this with just five-star guys. It's not just sheer talent. It's not just the Quinn Ewers and the Xavier Worthies um, and, and those kind of Anthony Hills. It's Tavondre Sweat, who was laughing on the bus in 2021, right? It's Jake Majors. It's Hayden Connor. It's Jalen Ford. Uh, it's guys that were developed, and Texas hadn't developed in a long, long time. If you can recruit at the level Sark has and you can develop at the level that these coaches have in the last couple of years, that's a dangerous thing, and it makes me feel like this isn't a one-year wonder for Texas. This is kind of the start uh, of a new kind of era and a new run for these Longhorns. 
All right, before we wrap up our first quarter, let's hear from Sark upon landing in New Orleans earlier this week. Actually, it was Wednesday of this week when they got there. They had a practice in Austin, got on the plane. Great send-off, by the way, for all the Longhorn fans that got out there and uh, sent them off from campus. That was a pretty cool scene. I know the Longhorns were pretty touched by that. There were a lot of Longhorn fans out there on Wednesday to as they headed out to the airport. Uh, but upon landing, there was a press conference, and uh, here was Sark. Uh, you know, feels like his team's mindset is where it needs to be. Uh, but at the same time, he wants them to enjoy the opportunity that they've given themselves to enjoy New Orleans and uh, have a trip to the Big Easy. One of the keys is you do a, you do a lot of the structural work from a game planning perspective back home, right? Because we have so much time, um, you know, we kind of take a week to really implement what we want to do when we're back at home. Uh, when we're here, obviously, we want to take our time to make sure that we're putting forth uh, maximum effort to get ready for the game. Uh, but I also want to give our players a chance to experience this opportunity, experience the city of New Orleans, experience uh, what they've earned, which is to be in the CFP. But I think our players will will echo the same sentiment. You know, we're here to, to play our best football that we can play to, to try to win a, a, a semifinal game to get into the national championship. And so um, I think there's definitely a, uh, a workman-like mentality that this team has. But I want to make sure that they enjoy the experience as well because they've earned it. All right, that's our first quarter. Closed on time by our man Carlos Carrion, the Texas Mortgage Guy, online at thetexasmortgageguy.com. When it's time for a new mortgage or refi, right now the mortgage is probably the most important thing. Always better to be working with an expert in the field. Uh, I always say it's still a good time to buy a house in Austin. I know rates are higher than you'd like them, but the good thing, it's, you know, the, the ever-growing market of Austin, that's going to value your property is. If you can get in and uh, use Carlos to paint, you know, pave the way, uh, guide you to solve problems and strategize, you still become a homeowner in Austin, Texas. And when rates come back down, which they eventually will, you can always go back with Carlos and refi and bring that down to a right better number for you big picture but you're still on a valuing asset which will work over the long term uh always best to go with a guy like i say with carlos who's a lifelong austinite knows this market like the back of his hand he's lived here his entire life uh but he also is a longhorn fan bleeds burnt orange passionate about it so when you're you know going through the process you can talk longhorn football basketball is about to fire up baseball uh in the spring he's just the best when it comes to it almost a decade in the industry and as i say not just there to provide you with a quote he's your guide to help solve problems and strategize one of the most important financial decisions of your life great communication time fast responses uh he's going to not leave you waiting to hear from him back whether it's an email or a phone call he's carlos carry on Find them online at thetexasmortgageguy.com. Don't forget the 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 T H E thetexasmortgageguy.com. Also on social media, uh, Facebook. He's just search Carlos Carrion, C A R R E O N, and then of course on Twitter at Carlos Carrion thirty six. He is uh, was our first ever founding partner. Said I want to be a part of what you guys are doing. I think it's great, and we appreciate him from the beginning. We're now on episode thirty five, and the Longhorns are playing for a national championship. That'll launch our second quarter. It's delivered by the Good Times and Incredible Scratch Comfort Food at Hayes City Store and Ice House. If you can see my uh, cool little pullover I got from the guys at Hayes City for Christmas, appreciate them. It's an absolute destination location in Driftwood, Texas tonight. And on this episode, we're going to talk to you talk to you about their new location, Travis and Tamara Tyndall and uh, Taste on Main in Buda. I'll tell you about that coming up. But our second quarter, Mike, will highlight this Texas defense against a Washington offense that is, uh, you know, without you know being hyperbolic, is prolific, Mike. Prolific. Michael Penix and this team you mentioned, Penix, a finalist for the Heisman Trophy, finished runner-up to. Uh, Jaden Daniels at LSU, um, the Washington O-line winning the Joe Moore Award as the nation's top offensive line units. You know what they're dealing. And the reason they won that, Mike, is 
They only allowed 18 sacks over the last two seasons. But I looked this thing up. This is incredible for Michael Penix because I'm of the opinion, and you can agree or disagree, Mike, that pressure on Michael Penix is the key to this game. The Longhorns have to rattle this quarterback. They have to move him off his spot. They've got to make him think a little bit. Because think about these numbers, and this is what Michael Penix is so good at in his career. Remember, this is like a Dylan Gabriel situation, Mike, where he's been in this same system for five or six years now. He was at Indiana with Kalen DeBoer. He followed him to Washington through the transfer portal when Kalen got the uh, the Washington job. So go back to when he was playing at Indiana. He's he's attempted almost 1,600 passes, and he's been sacked 31 times. He's been sacked 31 times. So that's not just the offensive line. That's the combination of the line and the quarterback. This quarterback is really elite at um, not you know giving up negative plays. The Longhorns did not sack him last year in the Alamo Bowl, in which those numbers would tell you, uh, are you with me that that really is going to be the key to this game with Pete Kwiatkowski finding a way to to create pressure on this Joe Moore award-winning offensive line and at least get Michael Penix off his spot a little bit and not into a rhythm? Yeah, I I agree to an extent. I I don't know if it has to come from pressure because I I think the Washington offensive system is built to where you – because it's not like Penix is hanging out there for five seconds and develop like they're just a quick passing team that occasionally uh, does vertical shot. I I think the key is to make him uncomfortable, and that can mean multiple yeah. different things: giving them different looks, blitzing them from different places, dropping out a defensive tackle into coverage, and, and bringing some zone blitz. Just just confusing him, making him think. To me, I think Oklahoma in the first quarter against Quinn Ewers, right? It wasn't necessarily pressure. That was messing with Quinn Ewers, but he was seeing some stuff that confused him. He threw a couple early picks, and that gave OU a couple free possessions to build a lead and then eventually uh, beat Texas. And so I don't know if they're going to be able to sack Michael Penix a few times or really get into his face or knock him down. But if they can make him uncomfortable, at least mentally, I think that gives Texas the advantage. But to me, the big one is Washington has to be one-dimensional if you're Texas. Like, you cannot allow the running game – to also hurt you like against Oregon that running game they ran for 157 yards a couple of touchdowns they have 26 rushing touchdowns on the year you know 4.5 yards per rush they're really good on third down I think the key is first down defense getting them you know either in the short passing game or that run game making it into second along making it into third and along and then maybe you have a chance to get some pressure on, on Michael Penix. But if Washington's able to run the ball with any type of success, it's going to be a long day for Texas. If they can make them one-dimensional, and then as the game goes on, start heating up Penix more and more, I think that that's going to be the key for this Longhorns defense. I will also say, to your point, they are quick passing, but then no one stretches the field like Michael Penix in Washington. When they feel like they've got a, cha- a chance to create one-on-ones, they will um, you know, Rome Adunze, their great receiver, is going to be an NFL player, first round draft pick. He's got 60 plus explosive catches this year. If you want to, you know, X Man, who's an explosive player, only has 41. Uh, so he's almost 20 more. Uh, and no, you know, they take the deep shots a lot. They're a vertical passing offense that also likes the short passing game, as Mike mentioned. And they'll run the ball. And this is where Kalen DeBoer's offensive scheme, these are two of the premier offensive minds in college football right now in Sark and uh, Kalen DeBoer. And they both have a, a trigger man and a quarterback. They, that they feel really good about. And uh, this is you know, the most similar team you can think of is, you know, Dylan, Dylan Gabriel, how familiar he was with Jeff Levy's system and uh, at Oklahoma. And uh, Texas got off to a rough start in that game, and they played pretty well through the second and third quarter and into the fourth quarter. And then we know it was that two-minute drill at the end that cost them. And, Mike, in my opinion is, we're, we're looking at this, this, this game's going to be a lot like that, I think. I think this game is going to be about, 
you know, breaking tendency at some level, to your point about confusing a veteran quarterback who's gosh, 23 years old now. And you, But you also have to uh, bend but don't break at times and not give up explosive plays. Let's hear from uh, Pete Kwiatkowski today. I will say this. You were at the press conference. PK is not Sark as far as his loquaciousness. Is that fair to say? He's not the uh, – we don't get to hear from PK very often, and Sark doesn't make his coordinators available. Uh, Sark can go on and on with long quotes, but uh, PK, not the most quotable guy. Is that a fair, fair assessment to you, Mike? I have this theory in uh, media that most of our sources are offensive guys because they like to talk more, and Pete Kwiatkowski is, is, is a model child of why defensive coaches tend to not be all that media savvy. I don't think he dislikes it. But I think he'd rather be in a dark corner drawing up blitzes than talking to us about, you know, coverages yeah. and how his past defense improved. All right. Well, let's hear from PK. He was asked today about that Oklahoma game, which they did give up a, a, a tremendous performance to uh, Dylan Gabriel and uh, what what will be different and what they've uh, maybe worked on here to get ready for this Washington offense, which, again, is the number one passing offense in the country, most prolific this year with Michael Penix and the Penix in this offensive line, three NFL receivers. Here's PK talking about this Washington team. We tweaked some things in the back end that, that have helped them. Um, but then they're going to catch the ball. We got to get them on the ground, right? And so when, when we tackle, right, we have it and don't give up explosive plays um, and we, try and force these, these uh, offenses to drive the length of the field, we're, we're pretty good. Um, but it's, it's all about control, tackling and controlling the explosive plays. Um, and then, you know, there's the, the, the deep balls are they're one-on-ones, right? And they do a good job. We got to go up and compete, and we got we to play the hands, play the ball, and um, there's no, no magic, magic answer to that other than competing and you know being where you're supposed to be and then at the at the at the when you were high pointing the ball right and making a play on the ball playing the hands and hopefully getting the ball stripped out all right mike as he said they've tweaked some things uh they've been working on it they've had a month to get ready for it they're gonna have to show them some different looks because there's not much this quarterback hasn't seen is it fair to say the lines of scrimmage i mean this will be a common theme as we preview this I mean, Texas is the biggest, most physical line of scrimmage they've seen. Uh, they're even bigger and more physical than a year ago. Um, you know, this this could be a game that looks pretty even in a lot of places, but the lines of scrimmage and the physicality of Texas may be the separator. It's got to be. Like, Texas has to be the bully in this game. They're not going to win the other way around. And so I think they know that. You know, I think that that's a good sign for Texas. And I think us having that conversation illustrates how far the Longhorns have come. Like, the fact that they got to be the bully – you know, that they're the bigger, stronger, more physical team and that they need to exert their will. Like that shows what Sark has recruited, what he's developed on both lines of scrimmage. To have that kind of advantage in a national semifinal is a big deal. They're the more talented team. Washington doesn't have a single five-star on the roster, right? Like Texas has more four-stars uh, than, than Washington does as well, right? Like they just have a more – I think they're the sixth most talented roster in the country, Texas is. Washington's not even in the top 20. Right. And so they're going to have a talent advantage. It's just whether they can exert that talent advantage and allow, you know, if the lines of scrimmage can play well, then all of a sudden that outside talent, that young talent can really step up. Yeah. Well said, I don't think Washington has a single five-star on their team. I mean, they're built on three-star kind of players and that's kind of being in Seattle, being in Washington, Roma Dunze, they're great receivers, probably the highest rated player on their, on their class. 
uh, coming out of uh, Bishop Gorman down there in Las Vegas. He's a tremendous receiver. Maybe the not 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 maybe he will be the best receiver the Longhorns have faced this year. Uh, and the Longhorns, remember, Mike, will have uh, Derek Williams, their freshman, two and five stars, their freshman safety suspended for the first half of this game because of that targeting penalty on the kickoff return in the Big 12 championship game. It's unfortunate, but as PK said today, it's next man next man up. They're going to have to go with the rotation of Jaron Thompson and Keaton Crawford and Michael Taft at safety. That's not optimal to be facing this offense offensively or this uh, number one passing offense without Derek Williams on the field who's come a long way. He's their best coverage safety. So you're going to need a lot from Ryan Watts in this game, Manny Muhammad at corner, uh, obviously Terrence Brooks, who, who I thought shined in this game a year ago as a freshman, didn't back down in this game. Those guys are going to have to be really, really good, and the uh, the safeties are going to have to be on point. And they're going to have to be able to get pressure, Mike, uh, with, the, with the down four. And sometimes they're going to have to bring some internal pressure, right? Maybe some middle blitzes, uh, second-level blitzes with Anthony Hill, Jalen Ford, disrupting what Michael Penix wants to do. They have to do it because he's really good. As we said, 31 sacks in his career against 1,600 attempts. That's pretty darn good. Let's hear Pete Kwiatkowski on Tavondre Sweat. He was asked today about the uh, uh, the award-winning defensive player, Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, um, the Outland Trophy winner. Here was PK. We haven't heard from him in a while about uh, the impact Tavondre Sweat has had on this team. Here's PK. And then, yeah, he's a big dude that's, you know, there, there's an athlete somewhere inside that body. That's what we always joke about. But he is um, hard to move. He eats up a lot of space. He takes multiple blockers. And so that frees up the linebackers, um, gives us a little bit more, um, a bit of a luxury to be able to play with lighter boxes um, because of what those two guys inside can do. Um, in the run game. Yeah, I like that, Mike. He's a big dude. He's a big dude. <laughs> uh, goes without saying. And he said there's an athlete somewhere in there. You know what I mean? Uh, we've drawn that out of him. He has been, I mean, as impactful a defensive lineman as Longhorns have had in, in decades. And he will be pivotal in this game. I know Longhorn fans, Mike, have made a lot about the 280-pound center for Washington. Uh, that's the one place where they have an injury. They have a center who's 280 facing 360. Uh, on one side at the point, and then Byron Murphy. I know they'll try to protect him, but that's that has to be win for Texas. Yeah, big guys beat up little guys, right? That's why there's weight divisions in, in MMA and boxing. I, you know, I I don't think we can undersell how important Devondre Sweat and Byron Murphy are to this defense. I I think the most important player in this game coming up, for the reasons that you mentioned before, the Kukowski, uh is Jade Barron. Like, he's going to have to be everything for Texas. He's going to have to deal with the slot. He's going to have to tackle well in space when they're when they're keeping guys back to, to stop those uh, deep vertical passes. He's going to be a blitzer on occasion. He's going to be responsible for confusing uh, Michael Penix on, on occasion. And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him play a little bit of deep safety uh, on, on third and long. So they've had a month uh, to work him in there as Derek Williams. You know, you knew he wasn't going to play in the first half. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a package with, with Jade Barron playing deep. And so I think his kind of wild card nature and Swiss army knife and just kind of the, the intelligent football player that he is, if he can come up with the player two, uh, he may be able to steal a possession and be a difference in this football game. Love that observation. And you're right with a month prepare. Those are the kind of things you can do moving chess pieces around the board. In addition, if you want to move them off of that star position, you know, is a Jalen Gilbo ready to step in and kind of, kind of fill that role um, and, you know, show what he can do in that opportunity if you need to move, you know, Jade over to the safety spot and the key spot. 
Uh, and you can do it on passing downs, right? And that's to your point about first down defense. One final thing to wrap up our second quarter, presented by our friends at Hayes City Store and Ice House and Taste on Main. Uh, Kayla DeBoer, uh, the quarter, the coach at Washington, second-year coach, 11-2 and in his first year, 13-0 and this year, the national coach of the year. He was uh, uh, asked about his thoughts on this Texas defense and the front. Um, yeah, it's uh... – it's pretty evident, uh, you know, what they are up front, and um, you know, just uh, guys that uh, stuff the run, and um, you know, I think just as a unit, get after your quarterback and get a push at the line of scrimmage, um, getting the quarterback's face, and we know that that would be a great challenge for offensive line. Uh, Coach Huff's done a great job with our guys, and you know, all season long, and looking forward to that challenge. Uh, we know it will be a great one, but um, you know, that's certainly. A big piece of uh, their defense is uh, what happens up front, uh, not just at the line of scrimmage, but all with, also with the second level at the linebacker level. All right, good stuff right there. And obvious that uh, they got to deal with that, Mike, that, uh, that uh, Kalen DeBoer and his team are very aware of what they're going to face with this front and try to create some mismatches where they can. The chess match there, Pete Kwiatkowski against, you know, his – former linebackers coach. And uh, Kayla, this is a lot of fun. There's a lot of fun in this game and uh, really, really looking forward to it. Because again, I was at the game in San Antonio last year, Mike, and the stats would tell you that, you know, Washington really controlled the game, but felt like, I mean, 27-20 was a one-score game and the Longhorns kind of had a lane game plan, I thought. They didn't have Bijan and Roshan. They didn't run the ball. They didn't get much pressure. It just seemed like, I don't say they were happy to be there. That would be too strong. But uh, I think the Longhorns, if they bring that intensity, bring that uh, – that ferocity we've seen this year, Longhorns have a real chance here uh, to beat this Washington team. But don't underestimate them. I hear a lot of Longhorn fans looking at where their pass defense ranks, which we'll talk about coming up in our third quarter and these kind of things. This is a 13-0 football team, Mike, who played a really tough schedule out of the Pac-12. Uh, it's hard, you know, Texas fans, know it's hard to go 13-0. That's a very difficult thing to do. And they played their best in the big games. They kind of farted around with a couple of those Pac-12 teams. And Texas fans know how that goes, right? Like, it's hard to get up sometimes. Um, for the for the no-name teams or the teams that aren't the Cals and Stanfords and stuff like that. But when they are playing Oregon, when they're playing USC, when they played Utah, that's when Michael Penix and that offense played its best. That's when the Huskies played its best. I am a script nerd. I love the first 20 plays of an offense on both sides of the ball. I like to see uh, what what the coaches thought was going to work and how they went about and, de and designed it. The Ryan Grubb offensive coordinator at, at Washington, if there's a guy that rivals Sark, He's in the top five, right? Like if we're talking about like top five script makers, uh, offensive coaches in, in the country, I think Sark is clearly in the top five. I think Ryan Grubb at Washington is one as well. That first quarter is going to be big for the Texas offense or Texas defense. I'm sorry. All right, looking forward to that Monday night, 745 kick. And it's the Eyes on Texas multicast episode 35. And we'll talk about Ryan Grubb and that uh, Washington, um, you know, the offense for we're going to talk about the Texas offense and Sark and his script against this Washington defense coming up in our third quarter. That's a great way to wrap up uh, our second quarter, which is brought to you by Hayes City Store and Ice House. Uh, Ryan Grubb with that script. We're from with Kalen DeBoer and a quarterback who's played a lot of football. But Mike, uh, we always say about Hayes City Store here on the, the podcast and the episodes. Let me tell you about our friends at Taste on Main. Travis and Tamara Tyndall, who brought Hayes City Store and Ice House online back in 2015, have uh, now opened in the last inside the last year. Taste on Main, which is in downtown Buda, charming downtown Buda, Texas. It's in a it's built into a 100-year-old historic building in downtown Buda. It's right there on Main Street in Buda, great with all the lights and everything up for Christmas. And it's such a great spot. 
uh, man, it is going to it's going to knock you out how good it is. You know, you, if you live in Austin uh, and or live in San Marcos, even or wherever, um, you know, you got to get to taste. You don't have to go all the way downtown in Austin and fight traffic and dark steakhouses and parking and everything to get a great steak and seafood. They've got it for you at Taste on Main. That was their goal with uh, Travis and Tamara to bring Taste Online and make it a casual, relaxed environment, but still a family-owned steak and seafood restaurant that uh, rivals any you'll find anywhere in, in, in Austin and Central Texas. Now, if you're looking for a great steak or seafood, the raw bar with the oysters, but they have a very uh, versatile menu. If you don't want the steak one night, you want to try the, the fish, of course, the fish of the day and the catch of the day. Also, they've got a you know, chicken fried pork chop. You're looking to go big. Uh, I was out there the, recently, and man, the, the, the menu's tough. To decide what you want, whether it's the appetizer menu uh, or the real menu uh, for the entrees, um, and you do the sides are amazing. Uh, whether it's the mac and cheese, the shells that they have, tremendous. The uh, the, the uh, Brussels sprouts, everything. It's taste on Maine in Butte. Also, on a beautiful day or an evening, they've got a, a treehouse bar outside that is tremendous. So you can sit outside and, and sit under the trees, the canopy of oak trees. It's just a great spot in beautiful downtown uh, Butte, Texas on Main Street. It's Taste on Main. Check that out in addition to Hayes City Store. We appreciate their partnership. Travis and Tamara have uh, been in the restaurant and uh, service business their whole lives. Uh, they know how to run it and they are the best. We appreciate them very, very much. All right, Mike, let's dive into halftime. And our halftime is delivered at just the right pressure by One Source Gas, your one-stop shop in Central Texas for all gas products, all gas needs you have daily or weekly. One Source Gas is your Texas compressed gas leader. And uh, some Christmas presents for the Longhorns. We haven't been able to talk about, Mike, you and I. But right before the early signing window closed last Friday, the Longhorns received their 23rd commitment of the recruiting class out of high school for the early window, a highly touted four-star wide receiver from Calabasas, California, uh, Aaron Butler. Uh, chose the Longhorns. He is, uh, um, you know, chose what Texas over Washington and Arizona. Again, the Longhorns, uh, 23rd prospect, as we mentioned, the fourth wide receiver in the class, uh, the top five recruiting class for the Longhorns. He's six foot, 170 pounds, legitimate track speed. Mike once committed to both Deion Sanders at Colorado and USC, but chose the Longhorns. If you watch him on film, it reminds you a lot of Xavier Worthy. I mean, just a true speed guy, not the biggest guy, but can really run. What are your thoughts on that? Sark did say last Wednesday at his news conference, Mike, that they're probably not done at wide receiver. He said that as he was talking through the, the Ryan Moores and the, uh, uh, the other guys that they brought in in this class, uh, but said we're probably not done. And when you kind of wondered who that was, turned out to be Aaron Butler out of California. Yeah, anytime you can add speed to the perimeter like that, you do it. Um, you know, Sark's very comfortable in California. He's got a lot of contacts there. So I, I know he knows a lot about this player. When he, when this guy, when Butler first kind of came onto the scene, uh, I thought he was going to be more of a cornerback. Like when he originally committed to to USC and his commitment back in the day, he, a lot of people thought he was a corner. So uh, he's a player that could play on, on both sides of the football. If one position doesn't work out, he can probably spin to the other. Uh, but I, I love Sark's uh, method of adding large humans and fast guys on the outside. Like You're going to win a lot of football games if you have big bullies in the trenches and you have fast players on the outside. Uh, Butler's just another one of those dudes. Yeah, coming in from California, Calabasas. We love that. And then maybe the more Im impactful uh, addition for the upcoming year, 2024, uh, is that came in Saturday, the next day. The Texas receives their third major commitment through the transfer portal when UTSA edge rusher Trey Moore, the nation's number one rated edge rusher, according to On3 Sports and some other services, chose Texas over Alabama. He joins Houston receiver Matthew Golden, Clemson safety Andrew Makuba as immediate impact additions for 2024 for the Longhorns. And Mike, you are a UTSA grad. Our, our, uh, our viewers who watch every week know that. Uh, this is a really productive player who – 
is out of Smithson Valley High School. And all he did is show up at UTSA and sack quarterbacks and make tackles for loss and be disruptive. I know Jeff Trailer hates to lose him, but uh, this is a really good ad for Texas. Yeah, the American Athletic Conference Defensive Player of the Year. He had that many sacks. He led the state in sacks, uh, and he was injured most of the year. Like playing injured most of the year, didn't practice all that much. And so uh, just great off the edge, great edge player, good teammate, uh, good locker room guy, right? And I, I think Texas has really gotten to the sweet spot of the transfer portal where you use it as a Band-Aid. You use it as quick fixes at a couple of positions uh, rather than as – you know, one size fits all, bring in 10 to 15 guys, right? Like if you can bring the guys you listed, Golden, Makuba, Trey Moore, those are day one, walk in, contribute right away guys. Uh, I think Sark and those guys did a great job there. Trey Moore is going to be, you know, I don't know if he's going to be a starter, but he's going to play starter snaps and, and be a big, big time factor on third down for sure. Well, and, and I'm more of an NFL guy than you, Mike, uh, I think, but you know, you do follow the NFL, but we talked last week with our recruiting special that, you know, good organizations build through the draft and they draft premium positions, right? You're, you're looking to stock left tackle. You're looking to stock quarterback, obviously cornerback, pass rusher, playmaking receivers, you know, and, and then, you know, you fill in around that. You gotta, you gotta fill the premiums. The Longhorns have done that, but they also are kind of built like an NFL team in that they're still recruiting at a high level through high school, which is the draft, right? When in the NFL or in college football, you don't get one first round draft pick. You get, five if you need them or however many five-star players you can bring in. and you, But then you supplement through free agency in the NFL. You add pieces where you feel like there's a good value. There's a good guy that fits what you're looking to do that you scouted, um, you know, because in the NFL, that's why they do the combine, right? You don't get to draft all those players, but they could become free agents and you want to have a good book on who they are, have those interviews and know who they are. Same thing now with the portal. These are guys the Longhorns likely recruited into high school and then now they've blossomed and now you go get them. The Makubas, the Goldens, who's from Klein Kane, uh, and of course this kid from Smithson Valley. Uh, and they're not chasing stars, Mike. They're not chasing the, man, this guy was great out of high school but hadn't produced at the college level yet. We'll get the best out of him. That's kind of an ego trip for coaches. They, they're The three portal players have produced on the field in big-time ways at Houston, uh, at Clemson for three years with Makuba and UTSA's you know, sack leader. I mean, these are guys that have shown it, that they can play major college football. Yeah, I had a coach uh, on the personnel side a couple of days ago tell me that you recruit upside and you portal pro production. And, you know, I, I think that's what Texas has done excellently here. You go for proven commodities in the transfer portal. There are some teams that don't have that luxury, that haven't recruited as well at Texas and can't go about with that formula. But with the way that they're developing players, with the way that they're recruiting, they're allowed to get picky in the portal and go straight for production. Yeah. And again, if you parallel that to the NFL teams that live in the free agency because they haven't drafted well, they typically don't win. They just really don't because uh, the free agent players typically cost you more. You know, you got to overpay for guys in the free agent. They're trying to cash in on that free agent opportunity. And in the NFL, they don't let them get to free agency with salary, you know, franchise tags and things like that. And so they sign them ahead of time. Uh, if they got a good player, they don't let them get loose. Uh, so you're usually signing guys that probably aren't worth what you're about to pay them. Uh, we can kind of compare that to NIL because those transfer portal guys are looking for stuff. This feels like guys like Makuba wanted to come home. You know, Golden kind of felt like he wanted to be at Texas all along. And Jaden Blue is here. And, um, you know, to get Trey Moore, the nation's number one portal player at pass rush and edge rusher against head-to-head uh, -head with Alabama. Pretty good get for the Longhorns. I love that from what you just said, Mike, that uh, you, you, you recruit for upside and you – 
hit the portal for production. Love it. All right, there's our halftime. It's brought to you by One Source Gas. Been a great provider of ours all the way through. Uh, they provide uh, compressed gas needs on a daily and weekly basis, whether it's CO2, nitrogen, oxygen, propane, many more to various industries in the great state. And uh, you always know a company's good when they're growing market share. One Source Gas is 12 years in this now. Uh, started as a small company and they've just grown and grown. And now they're up into Round Rock, down into San Marcos and New Braunfels and beyond and San Antonio even because uh, they continue to take market share because they do it better. They're your leader for CO2 in the service and hospitality industry, also serving the medical industry and fields and uh, veterinarian. If you have gas needs, uh, locally owned, or they're locally owned, but if you have compressed gas needs and you need delivery on time, daily to run your operation. This is how they've operated for a dozen years. They understand that exceptional customer service is the key to success when providing their products to help you run your business. You can't run without it. So you need to rely on them. They're going to be there every time. So if you're a bar or restaurant owner out there, dental office or veterinary clinic, and uh, maybe not satisfied, maybe not as happy as you should be with your compressed gas needs, and you're looking for a new CO2 or compressed gas provider, visit their website, onesourcegasatx.com. That's the number, the, uh, the spell out the word one, by the way, O-N-E, onesourcegasatx.com, or give them a call, 512-214-8484. One of their great staff members will be glad to help you with your compressed gas needs. My good friend Richard Strever and his team at onesourcegasatx.com. All right, third quarter, presented by Brain Vault Technology. Brain Vault, much more than a mouthpiece, an orthotic that is a proven way for young athletes to play hard, but play safe by minimizing the risk of concussions. All right, Mike, let's flip the script here. Texas offense against the Washington defense. I'll start it with this and just say I know a lot of Longhorn fans have talked about this is a, a low-ranked Washington pass defense, which it is. It's in the triple digits. But I would point out to those, those fans that uh, Washington has faced five of the top 16 passing offenses in the country this year. I mean, they faced Oregon, Washington State, and uh, Cam Ward. They faced USC, who's a top five passing offense with Caleb Williams, uh, Arizona, uh, Colorado. Uh, again, five of the top 16 passing offenses. So that will inflate your pass defense rankings. Uh, but the Huskies have the number one pass offense, and they've won all those games. So it's like they haven't seen a great pass offense before. They've seen plenty. Um, so this – this is uh, going to be a challenge for this Texas offense. You know, you're going to face a team that is good in the red zone. They're good in clutch situations. I heard the former Washington coach Chris Peterson say this uh, recently, Mike, that uh, this is a defense that will prove to you that stats are for losers. Stats are for losers <laughs> because their statistics aren't great, but they're clutch and clutch moments on the defensive side of the ball, and they have an elite pass rusher that can get to you. What, are your, what do you make of this Washington defense? Yeah, I mean, they're going to give up some yards. They're going to give up some big plays. They they play they play with an offense that's explosive that puts them on the field a lot, that puts them in track meets and puts teams behind to where they are passing a bunch. Uh, and Washington's more in prevent stuff when you're up 20 points in, in, in the in the second half. But they turn people over. Uh, they yep. got 16. They got 16 interceptions. Um, they're big in big moments, as you said. They're pretty solid little red zone group. They're decent on third down. They tend, they just like Michael Penix, it feels like they've played better in those big games. Like they made Bo Nix look bad in the Pac 12 championship. They, they beat up Oregon. Uh, they dominated them up front, and that, and that didn't allow Oregon to really get into their passing game. And so, uh, this is an underrated defense that, I, yeah, I think stats are for losers a lot of times, right? Like analytics doesn't play football, and this Washington football team does. And they're winning football games, they find a way to win. And there's something to be said about that. And so they're not a dominant force. This isn't Georgia. This isn't even Alabama. Uh, but it's one of the better defenses that Texas will play because they're one of the more opportunistic defenses Texas will play. Yeah, they'll get after it. Um, 
Uh, I want to talk about their great pass rusher that uh, the Longhorns have to deal with. And but you know, if you're if you're Sark, what's your game plan here? Knowing knowing what we already talked about in the second quarter with their offense, can you control the ball a little bit with your running game and the big humans and see if you can establish that? I know Sark is more pass to set up the run, but you know, with a month to prepare, is there an idea that you know what with you know our secondary that has been susceptible at times against this great passing offense? Could you use your offense to be a defense a little bit, Mike, and uh, create some long drives, create some time of possession, um, you know, play that end of half, start a half kind of game kind of thing. What's your thought on the game plan for Sark in this offense? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really interesting one. I mean, I think one line of thought is, you know, you do what you do best, and that offense probably against Oklahoma State was was peak Texas, right? I mean, just when you were balling, making all of those throws, being explosive, being aggressive, going after Oklahoma State, and really putting their foot on their throat. That's what I want to see from Texas. But I would totally understand if Sarkeesian, especially the way the game goes, right? If Washington scores on their first couple of possessions, all of a sudden you slow it down, you run the football, uh, you allow your offense to be a really good uh, defense. Yeah, and we'll see. And the Longhorns have been able to run the football. C.J. Baxter should be fully healthy, like all the Longhorns after a month off. Um, have you heard anything since you've been there, Mike, on Xavier Worthy? I know a lot of Longhorn fans have asked me about Xavier, and he tweaked his ankle, turned his ankle at the end of the Big 12 championship game when the game was out of hand. Uh, you know, by all signs, is it all things go for number one for Texas? Yeah, he looked like he was out there during our seven minutes. We didn't get a lot of time. It was mostly stretching position stuff, so who knows if he's full, full go. The offensive staff and players meet with the media on Friday, tomorrow morning, so we'll get to talk to Xavier, uh, talk to Kyle Flood, and hopefully get a little bit more on his steps. Uh, safe to say he's a big key in this game for the Longhorns because he is the matchup problem, much like Roma Dunze. Uh, they got to deal with X-Man both the, in the – you know, on the receiving side of things, but also in kick return, punt return. He's been explosive in that spot. So uh, he is important. And we know this, Mike, A.D. Mitchell has been big in big games. I mean, that guy, whether he's at Georgia or here at Texas, he has his biggest games and the biggest moments. Uh, you know they're going to be focused on X-Man uh, with, with he and, and Jordan Whittington. Uh, who do you – Who do you, you mentioned Jade Barron as the guy that needs to be the star on the offensive side. Who do you forecast needs to be the star on the on – the, uh, or the defensive side for Jade Barron? Who do you think needs to be the star on the offensive side? You know, probably a JT Sanders or a running back is probably who I would pick. I, I think that's just because I know what the what the wide receivers are. I mean, I I figure I assume AD Mitchell's gonna have a big game. I assume Xavier Worthy's gonna have a big game. Jordan Whittington's gonna be clutch. I think the wide receivers have earned uh that kind of respect. But if JT Sanders can have an eight catch for a hundred and ten yard in a touchdown game, or CJ Baxter can have a big game, or Jaden Blue breaks a couple of, of runs. If Texas can find other ways to manufacture points other than just Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell, Texas is going to be in a really good spot offensively because there's only so many guys you can cover. They're going to put two on Xavier or two on A.D. That's going to leave one-on-one -on -one matchups everywhere. They're not going to be able to put eight in the box, so the running game should be good. Uh, give me one of those running backs or J.T. Sanders being in the X Factor. That'll be uh, interesting to see how they deploy it. They do have weapons, and I always think J.T. Sanders is where you know they mo they use the motions a lot, as does Washington. By the way, a lot of uh, you know motion to create those and hunting both 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 coaching staffs will be hunting mismatches, and Texas can create them with their speed with X Man, the the you know, route running ability and just the overall receiver capabilities of of, of A.D. Mitchell, and then J.T. Sanders is just a matchup problem all the time, especially if they can establish the run and then let the big humans go to work. And that's, you know, that really is Sark's recipe, Mike. I mean, is to pass, 
just set up the run, uh, you know, get a lead and then run it, you know, wear teams out and run out the fourth quarter. You know, if you can do that against Alabama, you can do that against K-State, you can do that against, uh, you know, Texas Tech. You feel like you can do that in this game because you are bigger. You are more physical up front. Everybody talks about the Joe Moore Award winning Washington offensive line. Texas O-line is big and physical. And if they can start to wear down this Washington defense, Braylon Trice is their best pass rusher. He really is a, another guy who probably is a first-day pick in the NFL or you know, early second day. Uh, he's their their sack leader. you got to control him and corral him. But uh, this run game, I think, can be really strong for Texas in this game. And it's been a force the last few weeks for the Longhorns, even with the loss of Jonathan Brooks. Yeah, I mean, you're probably going to get seven guys in the box most of the time. And the fastest way to slow down edge rushers is to run right at them. So if Texas can, can bully those guys, be two-dimensional, make them respect and think about the run game. That allows Kelvin Banks, Christian Jones, the offensive line, a little bit of extra help when the passing game does come around. I always I always think about pitchers, and, and Sark kind of feels like Greg Maddox to me where he uses the off-speed stuff to set up the fastball. We all grew up thinking you were supposed to use the run to set up the pass. A lot of times Sark does the opposite of that. You know, he kind of pitches in reverse and then uses the run game to kind of uh, melt the clock and kind of ice the game. In an ideal world, that's what Sark wants to do. And so for me, it's about Quinn Ewers being in a rhythm early. Can Quinn Ewers get off to a hot start, get that offense going, get a couple of first downs, get Washington to play on their heels, and then all of a sudden C.J. Baxter, Jade Blue, and that running game can really start uh, to, to lay the wood as the game goes on. And crank it up. And uh, my friend Rod Babers and co-host on our morning show always uh, goes through the, uh, the, 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 the all P's, you know, he, he, they like to show power packages and then pivot to pass plays. Um, you know, when they go to a 6-0 line package, which is called the Big 12 package, but they also have a pony package where they've got two running backs, not, you know, not a fullback, but two tailbacks on the field at the same time. And we've seen that a lot here lately, Mike. They did a lot against Oklahoma State where they have 6-0 linemen and two running backs uh, with JT Sanders. And all of a sudden, the defense has to match that with linebackers, right? They've got to match that with heavy personnel, and then they pivot to play action passes, which create big plays with, you know, you're, you don't have coverage guys on the field as much. And the running backs can become part of the passing game, too, whether it's on screen plays. And that's where Sark's wizardry comes, where you you force a team to match you personnel wise, uh, getting ready for a heavy run and you pivot to pass. Sark has done a great job of that, whether it be in, through formations. And that's her having all this talent. And Sark's mind, you know, allows you to create those packages that can really force a defense into uh, the look you want, and then you can attack it. They've really done that very well here of late. All right, all right. so that's uh, before we wrap up our third quarter, let's uh, hear from Kalen DeBoer, uh, the Washington head coach, once again, talking about one year to the next, what he's seen from this Texas offense, and specifically Quinn Ewers from last year in the Alamo Bowl, where he threw for over 300 yards in the 27-20 Texas loss to Washington, to this year where they face a more experienced Quinn Ewers and a better Texas offense. Here's Kalen DeBoer. Well, I, I think the, the thing you see is that he's had continual growth from a year ago. Um, and that's not just uh, Quinn, but also just the rest of the team. Um, you know, and he, along with his skill group, uh, are in, in sync. You can see that uh, they're executing an extremely high level. Um, I think he just his command of the offense uh, has continued to improve uh, from a year ago. And so, you know, we're expecting a, a, a much different football team than we saw, which was very good football team even a year ago. And so, um, you know, he's protected. Uh, he understands 
I think just from a from a football sense, um, you know, it's another year into your career, and so been been very impressed. He can deliver the ball, put it wherever he wants, and uh, you know we'll have we know we'll have our hands full, um, you know, trying to slow uh, Quinn and the offense down. All right, Mike. As we wrap up the third quarter now, there's Kalen DeBoer. Any thoughts on that? And um, how many points did the Longhorns need to score to win this game in your mind? Is there a point number in your mind? That's that's the million dollar question, right? I mean, I I feel like I, yeah, I think Texas needs in the thirties. Like I just I I think this Texas defense is really good. I'm not trying to slide. It. I just I think Washington's going to score points. Like you're not going to keep them down all game long, even if you play well. They're going to score in the upper 20s or, or, or the low 30s. To me, if Texas can get to 35 or above, I give them a really good chance of winning this football game. If you tell me right now Texas scored 27 points, you don't tell me what Washington scored, I'm probably going to put my money on Washington. Agree with that. Uh, you and I are right in line. and Maybe that's a good thing or maybe not. I don't know. But uh, I'm with you. I th the number in my head is 35 uh, and maybe 37. If they go north of that, I feel good about it. If they're below that – I worry because I do think this Washington team is going to score. Uh, I think this is, you know, 34-31 kind of game, 37-34, 41-35, that kind of stuff. I think this is going to be a hell of a hell of a barn burner between Texas and Washington and a chance to win the national, go play for the national championship down in Houston one week from Monday. Uh, Mike, coming up, we'll hit our fourth quarter and we'll talk about uh, the other game. Your thoughts on Alabama-Michigan in the Rose Bowl on New Year's Day. Who's going to win that? Also, we'll hear from Jalen Milrow. The uh, Alabama quarterback, he uh, talked today about Bill O'Brien, the former offensive coordinator, former Houston Texas head coach, advising him to get off and move off of quarterback and play a different position. You're going to want to hear this piece of audio. Let me tell you about our friends at uh, Brain Vault, who bring you the third quarter and have all year long. Brain Vault is a revolutionary and patented mouth guard that has been proven to help reduce the risk of concussions. Uh, it's more than a mouth guard, as I say. It is uh, backed by science, backed by research and on-field performance. We told you all year, uh, more than eight years, over 100 NFL players have been wearing the Brain Vault technology. Drew Pittman is an agent in the NFL who has worked with Dr. Greg Eckert, who's my dentist, who has, uh, they've worked together. Drew, uh, Drew Pittman came to Dr. Eckert and said, look, man, I'm trying to protect my players. Is there a way with an orthotic that we can do that? And they went to work on this thing. And, it, and it's something that Greg Eckert has been passionate about his whole life that he really believes that uh, lining up that jawline and uh, optimally aligning that position uh, allows for maximal force. It's like a shock absorber in your mouth. When you hit that point of contacts and your teeth clench, you want everything to be in the right position. Brain Vault helps your mouth and uh, your jawline and your neck muscles to do that. It really does work. You can go to the website, brainvault.com, and learn about why it works and the research that it's based upon. Uh, read all about it, what is it, and everything that's been uh, been tested and uh, researched. And then you can schedule a fitting for your young athlete. They've uh, taken it from the NFL level where they wanted to show that it works and now bring it to retail where you can uh, have your young athlete in a collision sport, football, lacrosse, gosh, volleyball, cheerleading, whatever that sport might be, uh, and get them fitted with an individual or a team. Entire teams have been fitted for Brain Vault. All you have to do is go to the website, brainvault.com, brainvault.com, the revolutionary and patented mouth guard, proven to help reduce the risk of concussions, allowing your young athlete to play hard, but play safe and safer with Brain Vault. All right, fourth quarter time, brought to you by Dr. Greg Eckert and my Beautiful, pearly white smile. One of my great uh, additions here in 2024. Uh, Dr. Eckert and his team restored my teeth. Uh, I'm after 50 now, and it's really been a great, great thing. Love taking pictures. Love doing these Zooms now. Not worried and uh, self-conscious about my smile. Hey, Mike, for Final Four, uh, four questions out there around uh, college football. The biggest one for me is if Texas and Washington is 
kind of a coin flip game. I think we both like Texas in this game. They're going to have to score some points to do it. Uh, who do you like in the other game, in the Rose Bowl? Uh, kind of a rock'em, sock'em, hit you in the mouth, uh, Nick Saban v. Jim Harbaugh Rose Bowl. What do you make of that matchup? I like Alabama. I, I, you know, Michigan's proven to not be great in these situations. I still cannot believe they lost to TCU in that semifinal last year. I, I don't think J.J. McCarthy's the best quarterback in that game. But what scares me is that almost everybody I know and respect agrees with that take, but it's still Michigan's favorite, even with all the money on Alabama. Las Vegas knows something. They, they definitely think Michigan is the better football team. They're holding strong on the line. That gives me a little bit of pause. But give me Jalen Milrow. Give me Nick Saban in a big football game. I just say, you know, Nick Saban, his is a number. He's nine and four in the playoff, which tells you he's coached 11 games in the playoff. <laughs> my, or, I mean, 13 games in the playoff. 13 games. My math's, you know, my St. Edward's math skills are showing up. 13 games. I mean, that's ridiculous to have that many games in this place. He's He's been there, done that. Um, he's Nick Saban. And with a month to prepare, same time, I think you're right with Vegas that uh, everybody seems to be picking Alabama. Uh, you know, I watched the Alabama Auburn game. That game was probably closer than it should have been, but that was a rivalry game. Um, you know, we always pick out the bad performances, but what is Alabama at its best? What is Michigan at its best? You're right about that game last year that they lost to TCU. How about this, Mike? I mean, uh, the, the the college football world, we know TCU, you know, changed all their signs last year amid the accusing the swirling sign scandal that that sign stealing that maybe the college football world knew before we did with Connor Stallions and, and TCU was ahead of the curve on that uh, word out of Tuscaloosa is that Nick Saban is not allowing his players to take their iPads home with them. Like they can't take their iPads with the place. They can get together in groups with their iPads, but then they have to turn them back in. This is to the extent that Nick Saban is worried about the, the lengths that Jim Harbaugh and Michigan will go to, to get a hold of plays and signs. Can you imagine? I mean, think about that. Uh, that. The fact that that has come out, that could be Nick Saban playing games or they're just being super cautious that, uh, you know, Jim Harbaugh will go to any level to find a, find an edge. It may be a battle of the two craziest coaches in college football. And I mean, <laughs> the, I mean that like complimentary, like those two dudes are insane. Like I would love to know how much sleep either one of them has gotten the last month. Like I, I'd imagine they're both paranoid about a thousand different things. Um, it's going to be trench warfare. Like there is going to be um, some bodies laid on the floor in that football game. Like that is going to be a fun one to watch. And, and one of the reasons I think the winner of Texas Washington wins the whole thing is because there's no way you're healthy coming out of that football game. Yeah, it's going to, yeah. I mean, it's a 12 round heavyweight boxing match. And you're right. Uh, I think we're in agreement on that too, that Texas Washington winner has a good chance because uh uh, that game is going to be a slobber knocker, as uh, old G, old uh, Keith Jackson would call it. Uh, all right, uh, Mike, let me play this for Jay Free on Jalen Milrow, as they're you know just like you are covering press conferences there in New Orleans, getting ready for the Sugar Bowl. They're out at the Rose Bowl, and today Jalen Milrow confirmed that uh, when Bill O'Brien was the offensive coordinator, he advised uh, Jalen uh, out of Houston, Katie, uh, to switch positions. And here was uh, Jalen Milrow's thoughts on that when asked about it today. What was your reaction to Bill O'Brien telling you that you shouldn't play quarterback? Do you remember how you felt when you said that? How would you feel if I told you you suck? I wouldn't like it. Okay then, so that's, that's exactly how I felt, you know what I'm saying? Is there a position he wanted you to play or said you should be this position or that position? Or he just... I mean, he, he, I mean, he told me a bunch of bits that I could have switched to, but look where I'm at right now. So, you know what I'm saying? So who gets the last laugh?
All right, there you go. Jalen Milrow getting the last laugh at Bill O'Brien. And um, no doubt that's the chip on his shoulder that, uh, you know, the previous coach told him where he should move and how he should go and basically told him he sucked, he said. Um, Jalen Milrow's got something to play for and something to prove. That's that's a talented player uh, who has, since that Texas game, got benched the next week and has been playing as good as any quarterback in the country since that point. Uh, Bill O'Brien still bad at evaluating talent. Uh, that's news. <laughs> Uh, to a bunch of Houston Texans fans. I I covered uh, Jalen Milrow when he was at Katie Tompkins. And, you know, he's not Peyton Manning, right, in the pocket. He's never going to be that kind of passer. But I think we forget that in college football, you can still win with those type of quarterbacks. You don't have to be the the first overall draft pick to, to go win football games. It's not always the Caleb Williams. There's other ways to win this football game. The way Jalen Milrow plays, the way, he's a, the way he competes, uh, he's a Nick Saban guy. I think he fits perfectly at Alabama. And I'm happy for Quinn and Jalen. They were both in that same recruiting class. One was committing to Texas, one flipped to us. It all worked out for both of them, right? And it, it's cool that that uh, he's been able to grow throughout this year. Uh, he's a different quarterback than he was in week two against Texas, that is for sure. That is for sure. And I root for him in this spot. Um, but one other note on that game, Jim Harbaugh reports out of Ann Arbor. They've offered him a $12 million a year contract, Mike. Uh, but it's got a, a kicker clause that you can't flirt with the NFL when the season's over. He hasn't signed that yet. Does that give you an indication of the future of Jim Harbaugh, win or lose on Monday and beyond? Why would an NFL t- – I don't want to dis- like take this uh, podcast into the rails here, but like, why would an NFL team want Jim Harbaugh? Like I don't the headache that comes with Jim Harbaugh and just the amount of drama you're going to get with Jim Harbaugh seems to not be worth the risk unless you're Michigan. Like Michigan's the only place where this really works. He's always into something. There's always some kind of weird controversy in him kind of like half stepping with the NCAA. Uh, I think he's a good college coach, but if I'm in the NFL, I probably stay away. You can go find you can go find a better coach than that with less headache. Yeah, he's proven, and that's where NFL coaches or NFL owners are gun shy. They don't want to hire a bad coach, and he's proven. But you're right, even in the NFL, Mike, you remember when he was the Niners, he'd have midfield tiffs with coaches and Pete Carroll and, you know, just abrasive. He's just an abrasive guy who, to me, eventually is going to wear out his own locker room. That's just kind of the way he is. And in college, it works better because you have a rotating base of players. In the NFL, those guys get tired of you. They just get tired of hearing it. Uh, That's his Jim Harbaugh. Um, I feel bad for his wife. I don't know his wife. But I'm sure she gets tired of him too. He's just—he's just a mouth with a fist, or he's a fist with a mouth, is what he is. He just—just just feels like he's always looking to to poke and poke and poke. And uh, but you know he wins, and NFL owners are looking to win. That's for sure. But uh, we'll see. Twelve million dollars a year. Hey, Mike. In our final four, other things that are around your mind. Oh, Texas State won their first bowl game on Tuesday night of this week. Pretty awesome for GJ Kenny. They gave him a new contract. He's making a million dollars now down in San Marcos. What else has stood out to you? Uh, in these bowl games so far, and what what are you looking forward to? Yeah, I, I think the uh, the best bowl games are kind of like G five games at this point, right? Like when the programs still care about the bowl, you can you can really tell and enjoy um, that experience. And so, I, I guess to me, it just feels like college football is at a crossroads with the calendar, with the bowl games, with the extended playoff, NIL. There's so many things at one time. They need to figure out how to get all this stuff in line because we all love college football. Like, I, clearly, the audience is there for it. Uh, but to me, uh, this time of year, I, I always see the cracks in the foundation and just kind of the lack of leadership over the last 20 or 30 years and how they've gotten into this pretzel. Uh, the product could be better in December, and they have to figure out a way to make that work. 
I agree with you. I mean, it, uh, I mean, again, this is by any measure, it's the second most popular sport in North America. I mean, it's more popular than the NBA. It's more popular than baseball, hockey. I mean, it, it rivals only the NFL because everyone falls to the NFL, but you know, it's, it's the little brother to the NFL and yeah, the, the lack of guardrails, but that's the NCAA's fault. It's the lack of the leadership for the last two decades and to get to this point, but you're hundred percent right. They've got to find a way to be better and do it better uh, than it is right now. But uh, these bowl games are a great example. I mean, there's, there's up to 40 players who have opted out of the orange bowl, which is Georgia and Florida state. Uh, there's a game being played tonight. Uh, the pop tarts bowl. Now I know you were a pop tart fan growing up, Mike, uh, where Brown sugar. Players, two 32 players have opted out. Uh, A&M played the Texas bowl this week and lost to uh, Oklahoma state with only 48 scholarship players dressed. I mean, Come on. Um, you know, it, it's bad television. It's bad. You feel bad for the players who are out there because they're playing so shorthanded. Uh, you know, they've been kind of left holding the bag on this thing and the, the coaches. It's just a mess. And the bowl games kind of highlight that. But thoughts on Texas State and G.J. Kinney? I know you followed him when he's an incarnate word and uh, pretty awesome to see that uh, program. I'm Don Coriel, the AD there is a good friend of mine. I know they're really excited about the direction of their athletic department. And they have a for the first time, Texas State has a, 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 a sports centric president which helps a lot. And uh, man, go eight and five, win a bowl game, get all those national eyeballs the other night. Pretty cool for GJ. It was hilarious that they drank SMU out of beer, the SMU stadium out of beer. Like Texas state is undefeated party. Like there is, I've never seen uh, a school better at partying in this state, but yeah, I mean, it's really, it shows what alignment, how much alignment behind the scenes matters. Like we all, especially early in my career, I thought it was all about the football, like the, the just getting the right quarterback, recruiting well, develop. But like you need the president, you need the athletic director, you need the school at large to buy in to what's happening. It always felt like the football team was fighting with the university and the people in charge of, of how much it mattered, how much it didn't matter. This new group, Kelly Damphouse and, and, and Don Coriel and those guys, like they know how much football can influence the culture and the viewpoint and the perception of the university is the neon sign outside of outside of the school that gets you to stop and pay attention. They've seen what it's done for UTSA uh, and they want it for themselves. And, and that was a huge step in the right direction. I'm glad they were able to get to their first ball game, win their first ball game, uh, excited for week two next year when UTSA plays at Texas state. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, Jeff trailer coming to San Marcos. That's pretty cool. Uh, and I will say this, I know Don Coriel has told me this personally that they feel like with the 12 team playoff, you know, if they can win the Sun Belt and recruit the state of Texas and this area and build a squad and uh, use the portal smart with the right coach, then they feel like there's no reason Texas State can't be, you know, flirting around with the, you know, that that 12 team playoff in, in the future because you can, right? You, someone is going to make it. And if you can be a Coastal Carolina or a Liberty or Tulane or one of those teams and, you know, get, get, uh, get a special season, win the conference and be ranked highly, you can be in that mix. And that's what uh, Texas State is thinking. And I like the, your point of the alignment with Kelly Tamphouse and with uh, Don Coriel. They're thinking that way. They're thinking big picture. Now they're paying a coach of over a million dollars and uh, they're thinking about uh, what that can be. So props to Texas State and the bowl games. Props to Mike Craven, who's in New Orleans. He's going to go out and have a great meal tonight. And uh, I'll be joining you there on Saturday, Mike. So I'll track you down and we'll have a meal together. And we'll look forward to the uh, national championship game on Monday night, ringing in the new year and uh, seeing where this thing goes. Our next episode, episode 36, will be all about either a disappointing performance or a win. You both are, we are both picking Texas to win this football game. I'm saying 37-34, Mike Longhorns. Do you have a prediction for the game? 
Yeah, I'll take uh, Texas 38-34. 38-34. Okay, we're one point off. So we'll see how right or wrong we are come next week's episode. And hopefully it's about getting ready for a national championship game down in Houston. What a home crowd advantage that would be for the Longhorns. Uh, I was at the last uh, last couple national championship opportunities for Texas, 09 in the Rose Bowl, 05 in the Rose Bowl. Uh, this is a little bit different. Three hours away from campus would be pretty amazing to have that many Longhorn fans on on uh, on site if they can get there to face the winner of Michigan and Washington or Michigan and Alabama. All right, that's a wrap on another edition of the Eyes on Texas Multicast, four quarters deep plus halftime. We are a product of the Republic of Football on Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast Network. We're powered by our great friends at Grande Equipment, our presenting partners. Thank you to also our digital producer, Nolan Hogan, our executive producer, Griffin Hogan, their work this week again to get this thing turned around and out. Thanks also to our founding partners, Carlos Carrion, the Texas mortgage guy, online at thetexasmortgageguy.com. Also, Hayes City Store in Driftwood and Taste on Main in downtown Buda. One Source Gas of Central Texas, Dr. Greg Eckert and his Brain Vault Technology, excuse me, which is more than a mouthpiece. Uh, find us on YouTube. Uh, by the way, we also want to thank our presenting partners at Grande Equipment and grandeequipment.com. It's the multicast that keeps you on top of all things Texas football, available to watch weekly on the Dave Campbells and the Horn in Austin, Horn FM, some YouTube pages, available for download through iTunes and Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Mike, uh, thanks for the work again, and uh, Happy New Year to you, and enjoy New Orleans. I'll see you there. I'll be at the uh, the Harris Sportsbook. You can come find me anytime you want to. Welcome.